Fake, fake, fakeity fake. Hi, I'm Jody. And I'm Vienno. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News and talk about our need to abolish the police with my friend Vienno. Yeah, the standard. How are you? I am okay. It's warm out today. That is enough to make things slightly better. <laughs> um, love to be existing under the state of emergency, uh, both provincially and federally. Um, I hope it lasts forever. I hope it's always an emergency. What wonderful times are these? How are you? <laughs> I'm, I'm good. It is weird, like, that that is happening and how little my own life has changed. You know what I mean? There's an element <laughs> in which, like, Big, big things are happening, yet where I currently am, it feels like everything is the same, you know? <laughs> Listen, that's how civil conflict always feels, Jody. It yeah. always feels like, ah, oh, shit, I gotta go to work today. I guess there's, you know, state of emergency and bunch of arrests or whatever bullshit. Or, you know, in other places and perhaps and here in other times, it'll be, you know, oh, you know, I hear there's fighting in the north end of the city, but like, ah... I'm in the, I'm in downtown anyways. It's fine. There's always like weird levels of abstraction though, because like when when there was the event uh, in June uh, when the the Afsal family was murdered, like that that was the first time when like an event was like so close to home that it felt like very visceral in that sense. And yet, mm-hmm. like when world conflict stuff happens, it feels so like really like the Ukraine Russia thing feels very abstract. And the the yeah. emergency act and like the the trucker occupation at least in Ottawa, it's like closer but not as close. It's like this weird sort of like middle ground, you know. <laughs> it's like it's a somewhat close abstraction, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a familiar abstraction. Yeah, it's it's very very yeah. just uh, weird that like I don't know how to like fully put it. I will I will frame this episode just in in one sense, which is that of course we cover things a week after, right? So we listen to a week of Rebel and then talk about it. And of course, really big things have happened just in, <laughs> just in the last few days. Things are developing. So, you know, this week something that did not happen this week was the arrest of the 12 to 14 individuals out of Alberta with uh uh, you know, a whole swath of weaponry uh, with with plans to possibly shoot and kill police officers. So that will not be covered. But like, again, I have to I feel like I have to bring it up here because it's probably like existing in the ether for anyone listening to this podcast. The other thing is the emergencies, uh, the emergency act and everything that has followed uh, since then, as well as the breakup of the the Windsor Bridge, Ambassador Bridge occupation. So various things have happened that like we won't be covering necessarily here, but my guess is next episode, we we will probably be talking about <laughs> I cannot wait for Ezra's take on the Battle of Billings Bridge. Yeah. <laughs> I don't That's even, gonna be great. I don't even know if he's gonna like it's gonna be interesting to see what he hits upon. Like I'm already thinking, like, when it comes to like I'm actually really fascinated to how he's going to distance himself from the people in Alberta uh, and the the weapon stashes that were found at the Coots border crossing, which they are heavily invested in. 
you know, Rebel paid for the lawyers and had people sort of like embedded in that uh, those people. And I will say here, of course, we'll get into it more next week. But like one of those truckers was like or one of the people as who were the truckers from there from the beginning was one of these Diagaloon people who is now arrested for for the gun stash and all the other plants and stuff. So it's like things are weird. I'm just curious how yeah. they're, how they're going to, to to tackle that stuff. Before you get off the topic of like the Diagaloon guy, that's a like fascist accelerationist group for anybody who isn't in the know on weirdo far right groups. That's actually the, exactly what I was going to say next was we actually covered this sort of uh when we had Tony on a couple weeks ago. Tony brought up that group in particular. And I just want to highlight the the move I think that Rebel is going to make next week. And so I feel like it's good to frame it now while we're doing this sort of like bringing up next week's content is <laughs> just like the Diagaloon people were there from the start. So for them to sort of like if one of their moves is going to pretend that they somehow were infiltrated or whatever... No, Diagaloon was on people's radars from the beginning of these things. The the anti-hate, uh, our Canadian anti-hate network has been monitoring them since the beginning of these things. And I want to say, uh, Jeremy McKenzie, who's the leader of that movement, was just on Infowars a couple of days ago. So it's like all these fucking people are all connected, you know. Uh, so for them, they're going to play their games and they're going to do those like distancing moves. And I just want to frame that right now that like, no, this they've been involved since the start and they're all connected. And that's uh, mm. in various ways. Of course, like I'm not saying that like, the, like, you know, that the Diagaloon people are like shaking hands with Rebel or whatnot, but like they swim in the same the same waters, you know? Yeah. And with that, we will now cover uh, the week before all of this. <laughs> Hello, my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy. I'm a weirdo. We are covering the week of February 7th to February 11th. And on the 7th, Ezra's entire point is to paint the resistance to the truckers as you know, a violent <laughs> while trying to excuse all acts of violence from the truckers themselves. Ezra does highlight that a man drove into a convoy in Winnipeg, and he claims that this individual has a history of left-wing activism. Now, I don't know if anyone will remember this, but in Winnipeg, some guy, uh, and Ezra's going to talk a bit about him in a second, drove his car into one of the convoys that was driving through Winnipeg. And I guess what Ezra's trying to do is show how it's the left wing that's being violent when these truckers are like, oh, so nice and peaceful. Of course, barring all the things we talked about at the beginning of the show. <laughs> mm -hmm. But uh, so this this is how Ezra responds when it's uh, the left wing doing so-called violence. Right. So I just want to play that for context. So hang on, you literally rammed people at a political protest. You fled, you resisted arrest, and that's just an assault charge, is it? Huh. 
Um, our reporters, Sheila Gunn-Reed, Dave Shrigley, and others, uh, did some pretty basic digging, frankly. And uh, the man, David Zegarak, the suspect, he has a long history of hardcore left-wing Antifa-style activism and violence. If you heard his name, David Zegarak, you'd remember that name, wouldn't you? Have you even heard of his alleged crime? Have you heard anything about this case at all? Say, if it were a trucker plowing into someone else, if the shoe was on the other foot, do you think it would have been thrown down the memory hole in the same way, or do you think it's all you'd be hearing about? But seriously, there is more demand than supply for racism and violence. So so you can tell the narrative that he wants to spin there is to sort of frame like, you know, because this person was not a trucker and not the so-called like evil people that the mainstream media wants to characterize as evil, that they're not covering this. And the thing that I want to say is like, for one, I only know about this story because I saw both City TV and CBC cover it. So mm-hmm. somebody's covering it. <laughs> I mean, Ezra only knows about this probably because somebody was covering it. But the other end of this is like, no, no one died in this incident. There was a couple people who were injured, but like minorly. And that's not to say that what this person did was like not great or, or probably not the best thing to do. But, like, it would have been a different scenario, I think, if someone actually died in this accident. That probably would have been blown up for sure and for good reason. Like, that's when somebody violently tries to run into people that usually will get a lot more coverage. Now, as for this person being a left-wing person, like, I'm just going to take Ezra's word for it. As far as I can see just from my, like, like, cursory look into who this person was, he played in, like, punk rock bands. And one of the bands, I think, was something that had class war in the title. So my guess is they're probably a lefty in some capacity, you know. But at mm-hmm. the like, I just also find, like, it, like I almost, like, I have no problem with that. You know what I mean? Like, it's weird. Yeah. It's weird that, like, when it comes to right-wing violence, they constantly have to say, oh, they're, like, they're not really us. Or they try to, like, they're, they're feds or some other kind of move where I'm, like... I can believe that a left-wing person who was pissed off at these truckers did an act of violence. Like, yeah, that's that's believable, and you 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 got to deal with that. Like, I don't know. <laughs> we are in the age of vehicles as weapons. Like, you know, that's just what's going on, and it shouldn't be a surprise that at a at a like event and convoy based around vehicles as weapons against the state that somebody then use uses vehicles against you also like i don't know it's just a kind of a like whoa what a surprise violent rhetoric spawns violence sure i like it's just knowing that people will will do this and like but the thing is like i also think that like there's room for us to condemn that when it happens. Specifically, like, you know, we've talked before on this podcast that, like, we don't condemn all violence. But, like, of course, some violence is still not good, even if it's supposedly done in the name of, like, attacking certain people, right? Certain contexts matter. So it's, like, in many yeah. cases, like, I like it's acknowledging that somebody on your side did a harm and just going, okay, that was a harm. And then, like, moving on. But, like, it's weird, like, how how he has to, like, inflame this thing. Like, they're evil Antifa thugs that are, like... <laughs> Where it's, like, if that was the norm, we'd be seeing a lot more of this. Like, one one person 
losing their cool and not thinking clearly. And 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 the fact that the state has already come down on him. Like the the guy is going to be charged with assault uh, among other things. Like yeah. Like <laughs> I guess like what do you need to protest at that point? Like in some sense when it comes to left-wing people doing an act of violence like that, the law deals with him. Whereas like, you know, to borrow what happened in the United States when some asshole like Kyle Rittenhouse does it, they get treated a lot differently, you know? And not to say that these two things are exactly comparable, but, like, they are still violent reactions against other people's protests in that sense. Mm. Now, I do want to play just for uh, clarity, and or at least not clarity, but just to bring it back into our, our own heads about how Ezra views right-wing actions, right? So we saw how aggressive he was about this left-wing protester and how, like, he's some evil Antifa person. And I just want to, like play this clip that we've played a ton of times but i always feel like it's just so striking especially in this circumstance because after after i play the clip you'll know like ezra spoke exactly to this kind of violence <laughs> but if it was being like committed by his own side and had a way different sort of like position on it so i'm gonna play that but i think one day an ordinary citizen won't be so friendly, won't be so peaceful, won't be so good Samaritan-ish and might throw a punch or use a stick to hit or, God forbid, a gun or just drive over a road barrier and drive on someone. And I don't want that to happen and I wouldn't support it if it happened, but I could understand it if it happened because as part of a community, as part of a country, there's a social contract we give the monopoly of violence to the government, to the police, and we expect them to protect us all. And if they sit in their police cars having a cup of coffee instead of enforcing the law, why not? If it's the rule of the, uh, the jungle, if it's the law of the jungle, yeah. why not? So again, I know I play that clip a lot, but it's like, it's weird how he becomes so understanding when it's people on his side that are doing the violence. But if it's a left-wing person doing the violence, he no longer can understand it. You're just a, a thug. You should be thrown away forever, et cetera, et cetera. There's no, there's no sympathy. There's no understanding. Or, or it, you're just some evil uh, do-batter. <laughs> do, do, yeah. I don't know what the, the proper way to say that is. Not do-gooder? <laughs> Do-eviler. Yeah. And yet, when his side does it, he understand. He doesn't condone it, but he understands it. Mm -hmm. So, Ezra's a piece of shit. That's <laughs> that's the motto of the show. He then discusses the suspected arson, and I'm actually surprised he brought this up. And I, I guess we'll listen to the clip first uh, about him discussing it, and then I I think we should talk about the incident and and reflect on what Ezra has to say about it. This series of tweets suggests that some trucker was mad about people who were upset with the honking or something. So he came into a building and tried to set it on fire. And thank God they caught him on time. And of course, they know who he is because the trucker chatted with them mid-arson, identify himself. And sure, they didn't call police or anything. They... um they reported it to Twitter <laughs> a day later, which is what you do. 
if an arsonist bursts into your into your apartment, uh, you wait a day and then you tweet about it. And you know he's a trucker because at least in, in one of the pictures, it looks like they have pink hair. And, and many truckers do, you know. It's hard to keep up. It's really a Jussie Smollett-level hoax. Um, so many, so many people, literally the entire Ottawa establishment, immediately accepted this obvious hoax and magnified it. And I'm not just talking about chatterboxes in the media. I'm talking about government officials with actual power. They didn't look at it too closely. They didn't want to. You don't want to look a gift horse in the mouth. It was just too perfect a story. Best not to check or even ask basic questions like, does this make sense? They needed the pretext, the Reichstag fire upon which to launch the attack against the evil truckers. Wag the dog stuff here, folks. The thing that I find so striking about this clip is he doesn't highlight anyone who actually talked about this incident. And I would argue that, like, it barely got covered. Like, if you compare yeah. it even to the Winnipeg hit and run, the, like, the, the attempted arson barely got covered. And I think in part because of, like, some of the unanswered questions of what happened, right? Which I think yeah. is fair. Like, I feel like if if the media is not comfortable with the information they have to go forward with, like, a strong statement about what the cause was or what the parties involved were, then they're not going to make that statement, right? But it's like something did happen, and that's still worth looking into. <laughs> yeah, like... Just the idea of somebody taping the doors shut is already something that is worth like being like, this is kind of fucked up. But then also like the fire starter and everything like that. And then, you know, a couple days later, they there were the videos of them handcuffing doors shut. And then truckers on both sides would try to would see how much it took to get the handcuffs to like break so that they could open the doors just to like see how best to trap people in buildings and again like that one was there was a straight up video of them doing it and again no coverage by the media so it's like yeah like i don't know how ezra can be like oh whoa everybody jumped on this and everybody was like so ready to paint the truckers in a bad light when nobody picked it up even, like, you could be fair to Ezra in the sense of, like, the handcuff story had not come out yet by the time this mm. episode was uh, recorded. But, like, I mean, you could even, even back then there was footage of arguments happening between, apart like, people who lived in the apartments who were just hearing constant honking. And there was agitation being thrown both ways. And, like, you know, from the apartment side of it, deservedly they were pissed off all they could hear was honking all fucking day they were agitated now mm -hmm. so it's like for him to like paint this scenario as being like completely absurd is just like silly on its face like of course there's tensions here there there has been throughout this whole fucking thing between the community and the truckers right but then it's like what did he what did he say the the person had pink hair and truckers yeah. can't have pink hair like I've been watching a live stream of this fucking protest. There's people all over the fucking place with all kinds of weird, wacky hairdos and, like, whatever. There's a dude who always walks around with, like, a tinfoil hat. Like, it's also very funny considering how much, like, Ezra will insist that it's, like, an inclusive movement or whatever other bullshit. When it's, like, apparently it, it couldn't possibly include people who dye their hair. It couldn't possibly, you know, truckers would never do that. 
are truckers. It's amazing because his indictment of the media is that they run with this and they're like so quick to say that it was the truckers. Yet in this piece, he is so quick to say that it wasn't the truckers. Where it's like... <laughs> if his depiction of the mainstream media like jumping to conclusions, part of it is true. Like, if anything, we're the only ones who are doing the medium work of just being like... Let's wait till we have some evidence, but it still looks enough. Uh, it's so sussy. We should look into it, right? <laughs> but like, I don't think in our coverage right now, even when we've talked about this on stream, we never said for sure it was the truckers who did it. But he is so sure that it is not the truckers, you know? Hey, hey, Ezra, why do they have pictures of his full face inside a building? Could it be that? He's anti-mask? Could it be that... Oh, hmm. Who's to say? Who's to say? If it's a false flag, wouldn't they have known that there was cameras in the building? You, you know what I mean? Like, oh. there's so many things that w don't make any fucking sense from his own narrative here to call it a J Jussie Smollett-like version of events. Yeah. Where it's like, to me, it is way more likely to be a trucker-instigated fire. But I'm at least still skeptical of like, well, we still don't know who it was. We'll wait for like, and like, here's the thing. It's like, are the police going to investigate it? I don't fucking know. The oh. police. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> That's the other end of it. So like Ezra gets to keep like continuing to pretend like it was all like nothing, you know? Meanwhile, as you said, there has been several incidents after this where people have like reported on people using handcuffs to test on doors. So it's like fun times to be a, a, a citizen in Ottawa. In, at this point in the convoy occupation of Ottawa, police were beginning to tepidly, tepidly confiscate the, the diesel that was being carted to the, uh, to the trucks. So I guess like, you know, they were using the trucks as campers. And so they were running out of fuel for how long they've been there, that they had to like go to where people were selling fuel and then like uh, cart the fuel to their trucks. And at some points, Cops were taking some of their fuel and confiscating it. And Ezra's main argument is that uh, the false flag events that we've just discussed, like the fire uh, and like the Nazi flag and stuff like this, were being, because again, Ezra think that's, thinks that that was a false flag flag. So, <laughs> but those things are being used to uh, give the police justification for confiscating these gas cans. And then I'm like, but why have police ever needed just justification? And then on top of that, like they they were barely even doing it. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like it, it's like he he they're so desperate to be victimized, and it's amazing how hands off the police have been. It in real like it's it's not amazing from our perspective because that's like obvious, right? But it's just amazing how hands-off they've been and how Ezra has responded to their hands-offness. You know what I mean? <laughs> to him, it sounds like he's under attack, you know? You're saying that they haven't gone full Waco at the blockades yet? Yeah. <laughs> Not yet. Unless unless full Waco to Ezra is confiscating a couple of jerry cans. <laughs> My lord. Yeah. Ezra then interviews another uh, Democracy Fund lawyer. Remember that the Democracy Fund is the charity organization that Ezra has created that's attached to Rebel News. 
And this lawyer is on the ground in Ottawa, and his name is David Amber. And he's monitoring the police on the ground in Ottawa, and uh, he's watching them as they confiscate diesel cans. And Amber claims that the police are citing the the crime as being abetting mischief. And they claim like that this like that that's not like a real thing, and that the cops don't have the power to use this like charge, et cetera, et cetera. And I just want to say that I know from local activists here that some of them traveled here to go to Landback Lane during that the tensions that were happening there. And a lot of them, even though they didn't uh, interact with the police, I think a lot of them just went and hung out at Landback Lane. Some of them played soccer and other fun activities. And yet when they got back home, they were called by the police and uh, given like uh, summons to, to the court for charges of mischief. Just for going to a place, you know? <laughs> so I think bringing... Now, here's the thing is, I'm just saying in comparison here, because obviously, fuck the police, fuck these tickets, like, whatever. But, like, if if going to play soccer on a piece of land is mischief, using or getting fuel to fuel your occupation of a city <laughs> is probably <Nope>. mischief. <laughs> Nope, you're allowed to walk with gasoline everywhere you want. That's that's in the Charter Rights and Freedoms. All right, I, I forgot. Section 32. Yeah. Uh, thou shalt have gas. <laughs> I love that guy made it biblical. And then it has in brackets yeah. <laughs> in all senses. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, Ezra then says something that is, again, glaringly contradictory to his past views about how cops treat protesters. So I'm going to play that now. I, I understand it if charges are laid. I mean, police can have some authority, but for the police simply to scoop a guy off the street, hold them, and then and then give him a direction on where he can or can't engage in a peaceful protest, that is a very troubling thing. Like, that was happening to Black Lives Matter protests in Portland, and Ezra said fuck all about it. <laughs> he, he criticized Black Lives Matter that whole time and talked about how, like, the building, all the cities were burning down to the ground. But, like, police were just driving up and just snatching people. People, t police still do that in our country with indigenous protests. Like, this happens all the fucking time. Ezra hasn't said a goddamn word. So, apparently, it happened to a few truckers. I don't know that it happened a lot. I don't know, like, you know what? And I still think it's bad. I still think it's bad if the police just come abduct you, take you somewhere, and kick you out onto the street. Or take you back and hold you for no reason forever. That's, that is fucked up. Agreed, but like, again, I love how it's always w when it happens to his side, that's when he cares about it, you know? Yeah. So during the mailbag segment, Ezra talks about a restaurant in Ottawa that was open during the protest, and I wanted to play this because it, like, it kind of like summarizes how Ezra, Ezra thinks about the occupation in Ottawa and what they're actually fighting for. And so I want to play this, and then uh, we could we could talk about <laughs> whether we think this is a worthy cause or not. It's very funny, but when I was in town, um, I went to a restaurant and see in in Ontario. I'm not allowed to go to a restaurant because I don't show my papers. The restaurant was open; people were sitting down. It was jam packed. No one was wearing a mask. It felt like the before times. And the happiest person in the room was not any trucker or person like me enjoying a restaurant meal for the first time in months. 
It was the restaurant owner. I think that when you have 50,000, 100,000 severely normal people coming into town and you say, well, I'm not even going to try and enforce masks or, or vax passports, I think that just normalized the city. And um, I think it reminded people that you don't have to be afraid of the virus and you don't have to be afraid of politicians. Just going to correct those numbers real quick and say that the maximum they got was estimated at 8,000 uh, with more like a few hundred during the week. Um, like it was at its high point on like the Saturday or whatever and then like kind of dropped instantly again. Um, 50,000 severely normal people. Their normalcy is so severe, which is why they're having dance parties while wearing tinfoil hats in the freezing cold. <laughs> no wonder they were shitting in the snow. There's so many of them that there isn't <laughs> enough bathrooms in Ottawa. No, it's, you know what? Normal people shit on a toilet. Severely normal people, they shit outside where God <laughs> intended them to shit, okay? True. <laughs> God. But notice as well, like... The, the owner of the restaurant is the happiest they've ever been, and that's what yeah. we're fighting for. Like, that's what they're fucking fighting for. Forget the workers who had to work in a cesspool of disease and expose themselves to this virus. Fuck their health. Fuck their safety. The owner was happy because they were finally making some more money, and that's yeah. what we care about. I like almost want to just like tell tell you to listen back to that because it's almost dystopian. Like, imagine like it, it like everyone in that room was celebrating the severe normalness of the situation. It's like the before times, and what that is telling you is like they're pretending like there isn't a virus when there is. Mm -hmm. It's it's fucked up. It's delusional. <laughs> it's it is like the definition of being delusional. They're just they're trying to pretend like the virus is not real. Uh, and it's well, fucked up. They're trying to, they're putting themselves mentally into the before times, which is like not a th not a thing that humans can do. <laughs> you know, like you are inventing a past and trying to relive it. Yep, it's not gonna work. Well, the the virus doesn't care about your imaginary <laughs> like worldview. The virus is going to keep on virusing. Yeah. So that takes us to February 8th. And Ezra takes the beginning half of the episode to brag about the fact that Lincoln J., one of their employees, was on Sean Hannity, and then Ezra himself was on Tucker Carlson. Now, we don't really have to go over what they did on those shows because it was just, like, retreading ground that we already know. But... It is kind of uh, disturbing that multiple uh, hosts on Fox News have been promoting Rebel News to their millions uh, audience. So that's not great. Woohoo. And then for the rest of the episode, Ezra wants to highlight what he thinks are the nine reasons why we can't trust the media party. <laughs> okay. So we're going to do uh, we're going to do a rundown on Ezra's nine reasons here, okay? The first, and so I'm I'm not going to play any of the clips. Uh, I'll just I'll I'll tell you what the list is because that's just easier. The first reason you can't trust the media party is because they're lazy. <laughs> okay. 
Now, his explanation for this is that, they, you know, they would rather just sit in their office and uh, bust out a story without actually going to have to investigate it. So they're lazy. I actually think this is more the result of just like the monetary incentives because it costs more to send somebody out in the world to report on something. Yeah. If in case this actually is happening, I I actually think that, you know, the, like, I don't doubt that there are lazy reporters out there, but it seems a little weird for him to just uh, paint, the <laughs> paint the whole field as being fucking lazy. I do know Rebel News famous for their um, factual and investigative reporting. They they paid Mocha to go on the, the truck convoy. <laughs> they embedded a reporter, all right? Okay, sure. And then did he report real things? Uh, he reported that trucks were present. <laughs> <laughs> and we didn't get an answer whether it was Islamophobic or not. We're still, that's still, uh, we're still not clear on that. See? <laughs> no, you're right. The other reason you can't trust the media party is because they took bailout money. So this is just the same shit he goes on and on about, which is like, uh, because the liberal government is in power now, and they're the ones who put forth the the bailout funds, that therefore any company that receives bailout money is somehow, I guess, in Trudeau's pocket, and therefore Trudeau gets to manipulate them, I guess. <laughs> of course. The other one is a little bit more... Uh, one that I would agree with, which so he argues that there's no media competition, that the media companies in Canada form an oligopoly, as he calls it. So that's why we only have like uh, the National Post, the Globe and Mail and like the CBC as like the main outlets kind of thing. And I agree with that one. Yeah. Yeah. Number four is that more journal <laughs> more journalists work for the CBC. And every journalist knows that the CBC is a place of last resort since the CBC will always be funded. And so every journalist works as if they will eventually be hired by the liberal-run CBC, okay? So this one is a bit weird, but what he's saying is that because the government funds the CBC, those jobs will always be there. So it's like every journalist is working, knowing that if they get canned from their current job, they could at least go work for the CBC. <laughs> and so they try to be as liberal as possible so the CBC will hire them when they inevitably, inevitably get canned from their job. <laughs> that is very funny, honestly. <laughs> I really, I actually really like that theory. <laughs> It's, I mean, it's a fun theory. It just, it doesn't make any fucking sense. <laughs> no, but that's why it's fun. <laughs> like, uh, I'm just like, because he says there's more journalists working for the CBC. And then I'm like, like, maybe, like, I don't know that this is the case. Like, maybe the CBC itself employs more people than, say, the Globe and Mail, right? But it's like... If you combine the Globe and Mail with the National Post and all the other news media, like, there's no way that the CBC has more. I mean, there's no way that the CBC has more than the parent company of National Post, whose name I'm blanking on. Post Media? Um, yeah, like, then Post Media? No fucking chance. Probably not. In, ter in, like, their actual news departments. In terms of, like, actual raw employees, yeah, CBC has more because they produce television shows and, you know do a billion other things but post media owns literally every 
small town newspaper in the country. Like, yeah. I mean, the CBC has a bunch of local stuff, but not as like, not as local as some of the post media stuff. But I also want to say that like, in terms of like funding, like, yes, the government funds the CBC, but there's been funding cuts and like a conservative government will likely cut them more, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, even that is not like a, I guess a a good contingency plan. (laughs) So that's number four. Number five is that the conservative media, such as the, the national post hired woke leftist underminers without like knowing it. So they hired these like young straight out of like university people and they turned out to be leftist underminers and are now taking over these media companies from within. Idiots should have never hired the communist Jonathan Kay. Yeah, oh yeah. Or uh, his communist mother. (laughs) Barbara's an anarchist. I I just, I I don't even know what to say to that. Like, I, I think it's true that maybe there's some people at the National Post that are more liberal than the National Post tends to be with when they're new hires or whatever. Like, I guess people coming out of university, they don't come out as Rex Murphy already, you know? Uh, that takes uh, years worth of cultivating that kind of douchebaggery, right? So, it's <laughs> But I think the liberals that are working there now that might be a little bit more in, like in tune with sort of like pro-LGBTQ politics or like maybe a little bit more quote-unquote woke on racial issues, uh, th- th- they have time to beat that out of them, I think. You know? mm-hmm. And, you know, they're like so-called left-wing might just be not saying slurs at the workplace, too, so... Yeah. Or not wanting to be harassed as a woman. Mm-hmm. So the ne- next one, number six, is that they're regulated by by the CRTC. Uh, and, like, that that's just him being like, Rebel News is better because we're not regulated. <laughs> Which, you know what? considering that like you know rebel news has store started a like a charity organization which they now use to help fund right-wing protests that are occupying various cities and uh, uh blockades across this country <laughs> like, <laughs> now now they're not directly funding them but they're like help hiring lawyers for them and stuff like this right but like yeah maybe that would be good to be regulated maybe it's not good that news organizations do that kind of shit and and I want to say maybe it's good that like there's some set of like standards and like uh you know room for correction because Rebel News never corrects themselves. I never see a correction section for Rebel News. So like they might not have to live up to any standards because they're not a part of any association and who who falls within the CRTC's regulatory body. Mhm. But like maybe maybe it's good to have standards. I don't know. The the seventh is that uh, news orgs are political. And that one was harder to follow for me. But he made it, it was kind of like, he described what happened to Sun Media as being political because the company decided that certain things were worth more money than others. And so they got rid of Sun Media as a wing of their organization. And he calls this political. And I'm just like, I don't, uh, that seems like a business decision. Maybe business decisions to him are political. Like, 
And, like, they can be, but, like, I don't know. That one was harder to follow for me. Yeah, I don't get that one. Number eight was that uh, the media is full of woke people, <laughs> which sounds very similar to that the conservatives <sighs> hired woke underminers. But uh, his example here was that the CBC refuses to hire climate deniers now. Oh, my God. Yeah. Which, uh, like, I never thought of that in terms of, like, wokeness. But there you go. I guess being being in favor of the science of climate change means you're a woke person now. We should only be hiring people fresh off the Alberta tar sands as CBC reporters. <laughs> Executives, ideally. Well, I mean, that, that gets to his last point, which is that none of the reporters are themselves truckers. Or, in fact, oil workers or any working class people at all. And therefore, they can never cover anything that has to do with this protest correctly. Because since they're not working class, they don't get it. Ezra coming out against the capitalist division of labor. I like it. I like it. The thing is that that undercuts his own reporting, doesn't it? <laughs> what? Mm, what, what? I don't know. <laughs> Mocha's got a truck now. Okay, Mocha. <laughs> I mean, even Mo- Mocha was a YouTuber before the rebel fucking hired him. <laughs> so yes, but now he owns a truck, Jody. All right, all right. He's a trucker. <laughs> He's an honorary. He guy. has the life experience. I forgot that trucker is a mindset now. It's no longer an occupation. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's his list. That's why no one can trust the mainstream media anymore. But then Ezra ends that, so he gives his nine list, which actually comes from, like, a Twitter thread he made. He was so self-indulgent. He was like, I gotta read my own Twitter thread on my show, and he got all, like, giddy about it. So that's pretty much what we went through. But then Ezra does what I I describe as a self-report about his own journalism. So I'm going to play that clip. Psychologically, these middle-class narcissists, every journalist must be a narcissist to believe the world needs to hear what they have to say cannot believe that the working classes reject them. They always posed as saviors of the working man. It made them feel better. Do you think the writers at the Toronto Star have anything in common with working people other than their gardeners, their cooks, their nannies, their food delivery boys and gals? So Ezra is a narcissist? (laughs) How much does he think tour star writers are paid? I mean, there's that, that, and, like, Ezra has enough fucking money to have, like, do you think, like, Ezra has some sort of, like, nanny, probably, or probably did in his past. Would, would, would that surprise you if he had a nanny for his kids? Also, delivery boys or gals. So, you know, we're making this inclusive here. (laughs) Um, You don't generally hire them, you know, like... That tells me that, like, uh, Ezra probably doesn't, uh, like, order his own food. He has a person that he goes, uh, hey, Jim, <laughs> order my food. <laughs> like the stereotypical office intern whose yeah. <laughs> only job is to create coffees, yeah. Yeah. That's the delivery person <laughs> that Ezra means. <laughs> it gets really weird after this because Ezra then starts going through a list of, like, quiz items that have to do with like, have you ever drunk uh, like a beer before at a pub? Have you ever like what? welded a piece of steel before? He's <laughs> like going through these things. And apparently this comes from Charles Murray. And it's supposed to assess how much someone is like 
like an everyday person or like hangs out with like working class type people or something. Okay, so we need to take this quiz. Yeah, well, the, the whole reason he does this is because he just wants to say that journalists are out of touch. But, like, for those who don't know, Charles Murray, again, is the guy who co-wrote The Bell Curve, which argues that black people have genetically lower IQs, and that, therefore, we shouldn't give them welfare because they'll never amount to anything anyways, is pretty much the summary of that book. So the guy's a racist piece of shit that Ezra has talked about before and keeps talking about. And somehow knows enough about him that he remembers a quiz from one of the things that Charles Murray has uh, written about. Ezra then brings up this thing that I don't know that we've talked about it yet, but he has said it several times, so I feel the need that we have to talk about it, which is that he keeps stating that 30% of Canada supports the convoy. And he, he then goes from this to say that if they were a political party, that they would be the government right now because liberals only got roughly 30% of the vote. And then he uses this to say that they can't, in fact, be a fringe minority, which is what Trudeau called them. But it's weird that Ezra keeps trying to spin this as a good thing <laughs> because the argument points to the fact that they only have 30% popular support. Ezra also thinks that Trudeau is illegitimate for only representing so few Canadians. So it's like, I don't know why he doesn't see how that applies to the truckers. <sighs> yeah. But he, it's weird. It's like one of those things. It's just like the whole, like, uh, what is it that uh, the British people are just so conscientious that only Gandhian techniques can work against the British or something. It's like one of these things that he he like thought about. He's like, oh, I sound fucking smart that I came up with that. So I'm just going to keep saying it over and over again. And this, uh, this line about 30% of Canadians support the convoy is just something that he he's like, ooh, I found a really cool way to spin the fact that no one likes our convoy. <laughs> So now it sounds like cool. I mean, like, only 30% of the country voted for Trudeau. So, like, haha, got you. Don't you feel got? <laughs> got me. Ezra then says that since they are not like the media party at Rebel News, that is actually why the convoy people came to them for help. And I'm like, it's, it's more clear that they came to Rebel because Rebel was a part of their media diet in the first place. So now we get to the interview section. That was, we're done, we're done with media criticism with Ezra. And Ezra's going to interview uh, a, one of his employees named Sidney Fizzard. And Ezra kind of admits that they're self-censoring the reports on the truckers. So Sidney and Kian, K2, Kian Simone, the, their other employee, they're both embedded with the truckers at the Coots border crossing, which has been mm -hmm. blocking the border there. Now, in our timeline, we already know that that, that has already ended uh, because they sort of like gave up the, the blockade after 12 to 14 people associated with it were found with a stash of weapons. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, this is before that, and Sydney and Kian are still embedded with them. And... They're talking about how Fizzard and Kian got to be sort of like flies on the wall and sort of see the like internal negotiations. And so I'm going to play that clip now. 
and it's amazing to me the exclusive access you have had to the to the men who have formed a sort of democratic council on things. I mean, obviously there are certain things that you can't show because they're, you know, the, the, the truckers want privacy for certain negotiations, et cetera. But you really are, as they say, a fly on the wall watching history being made. The only reason I wanted to play that is because, I mean, I'm, I'm not a journalist and maybe I should ask some of my journalist friends, but that seems a little weird to me to be like, the truckers are giving rebel like don't report on this and report on this kind of like advice, you know? Yeah. Not <laughs> not at all concerning that Rebel is acting as a official propaganda arm. Normally like I can understand now yeah, I could be reading what or reading a little much or like too much into what Ezra is saying here and that maybe what Ezra is saying is that the truckers leave to go to a side room with their lawyer without the media present that would make more sense to me but the way he framed it there sounded like they were telling them like report on this keep this private etc and then that would be like directing the propaganda you know mm -hmm. Ezra then talks about how he used to be or still kind of is right wing but now now Ezra is for the working class by the way, where are the socialist parties right now who claim to stand with the working man? They're denouncing. Jagmeet Singh couldn't be more vicious in his language towards the working man. He's no working man. I've never seen a guy dressed fancier in my life than him. Um, you, you mess with the people who make things go. You mess with people who work outside. You mess with people who know how to do stuff, make things. Um, hard hats, uniforms. I mean, that... The fancy folks who are on their MacBooks at their country cottage loving the lockdown, yeah, I suppose they make things. I mean, you could put us in that category. We're in the news business. What is that really? But a lot of things stop working pretty quick. If you don't get your groceries, you don't get your deliveries, you, you, the buses grind to a halt, the borders grind to a halt. It's very interesting to see a true workers' rebellion, a rebellion, a true workers. I mean, I mean, I grew up very free enterprise oriented. And if if I had to answer which side are you on, labor or capital, I wouldn't have said labor. Not that I was against working people. I just would have said, oh, I'm against Marxism. I'm for free enterprise. But to see a true blue collar workers' rebellion against these lockdown laws that are so punitive. It makes me feel like a bit of a revolutionary, and I'm just so proud that our team has covered it from coast to coast. I, I, I really think it's realigned politics. I mean, I, I was considered, quote, right wing for my entire life, and I think in many ways I, I was, and I, in some ways I still am. But the pride I feel in the working men and women of this country standing up for our basic freedoms that the fancy class has allowed to be eroded for two years that's a great feeling, and it makes me feel better about Canada maybe than I've ever felt in my whole life. I'm just saying. I can't fucking wait till next week. Yeah. <laughs> I cannot wait to hear this shit weasel. Just like, like <laughs> oh no, our poor special boys got sent home. Or like whatever bullshit. And just like the humiliating defeats that they've suffered in the past like yeah. <laughs> few days. Oh. I can't wait. It's just so I like I almost don't even know where to even start with that fucking clip. Like I, I love the the dis like this distinction between the fancy class. 
Yes. And, you know, those blue collar getting their hands dirty. I like, I love what, like, he turns into a robot when he talks about the working class. And, like, he did admit in this clip that, like, even at Rebel, they're out of touch. Like, they're, you know, the reporters and, like, what are they, right? But, like, he just, all of a sudden, he just goes, hard hats. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was what I wanted to touch on, too, because it was getting your hands dirty in hard hats. And that makes your groceries not show up. If they don't want them to. I just, it's so fucking you know, good. Famous, famous uniform of grocery store workers. It was, like, it was like an alien coming down to like, just how do humans work? How, what is human labor? Let's perceive the human as they engage in labor activities. Yeah, it's, uh, it's incredible. But like, you can notice too, like, He's admitting that, like, he... It was surprising to me that he just openly admits that he would he would side with the capitalists over the laborers. He said that. Like, it just... Like, you almost never hear that. He's like, if I would have been asked this question before, I would have sided with the capitalists. And the only mm-hmm. reason he's siding with labor now is because they want some vague notion of freedom. What they want is deregulation, and deregulation helps the capitalists. Which is why, for any leftist who might be listening right now, who is, like, weirdly sympathetic to the truckers, it's not left-wing. <laughs> this is not a left-wing thing. This is not a workers' revolt. This is not a... This is only going to benefit the capitalist class if they get what they want. Which takes us to the next uh, clip. Now, I don't have much of a setup to this, but I thought you... I thought of you when he mentioned this. Like this, this clip like happens immediately after the one that we just played, and uh, Ezra starts to talk about the Winnipeg general strike. So here we go. Oh. <laughs> I don't know my Canadian history as well as I should, but I do know there was something called the general strike of Winnipeg, and I think, if my memory is right, that was in 1919. More than a hundred years ago, there was a general strike. Now, that was fomented by real communists, actual communists inspired by the Russian Revolution. What we have here is a workers' rebellion, almost like a general strike when you think about it. It's not this company or that company. It's entire classes of people. But it's not for communism. In, in an interesting twist, it's against the sort of communism, or maybe you call it fascism, the unity between big pharma, big tech, big government, locking us all down, taking away our freedoms unlimited uh, for an interminable length of time. It's a general strike for freedom, which may be the first time that's happened. Uh, I don't know. I suppose you could call the fall of the Berlin Wall this. It's the unions and the workers taking control of cities to make sure that the distribution of goods is maintained um, that is violently put down by police and military except none of those things have happened. And it's impeded other people. Like, I just... <laughs> the thing is, like, I love... Again, it's it's the, the bullshit language games here about freedom, right? Because the freedom that they want is going to make a bunch of people unfree. It's going to make people who are immunocompromised unfree when they don't feel safe to go out uh, anymore or go to work anymore. It's going to make other people who are not immunocompromised but still aware that a virus is happening... Uh, not be free because now assholes are around them without masks and could potentially be carrying a virus, you know? Uh, So it's like, you know, it's not a fight for freedom. It's a fight for, 
anti-deregulation uh and it's being done so by by harming other people in terms of like the supply chains like it's immediately having effect and it and again we've already said like last week as well putting that kind of leverage for a good cause might be worth it but since this is not for a good cause the harm that they're doing while fighting for their not good thing is a harm that we should consider you know but uh but yeah let's hear it for freedom everybody for freedom a general strike for freedom just like the berlin okay. wall it was like <laughs> just like the fall of the berlin wall the <laughs> no no strike for freedom has occurred since the fall of the berlin wall nothing has happened since then the next clip i'm going to play is out of pettiness but i just i love this so much that i have to play it it's super short I don't even like really have a setup for it. I just want you to hear this. So, uh, actually I will, you know what? I will, I will ask a question. What are your thoughts about the story about David and Goliath? When you, when you hear that, what, what comes to, what comes to mind first? Uh, slingshot. Slingshot. Is that because that's how David brought down? That's how Goliath? David gets it. It's like, whew, you know, um, do you do you take away from this story that it was a real historical event? <laughs> do you believe in yes. giants? <laughs> it wasn't that it was a giant. It was that it was a big dude and David was little. Like that's it. Alright, well, well it's like <laughs> it's like a five like a five five king versus some six eight dude. I don't know. Either way, let's listen to this clip. And the thing about history is it's told by the winners, right? I mean, we don't know, um, you know, we, we, we know the story of David and Goliath um, because David won. It, it would be a very funny Bible story if it was David walked up and challenged Goliath and Goliath just stomped the shit out of him. <laughs> I just love to, like... There's so much going on in just saying this, in part because, like, David, like, we barely even know that David was a real historical figure. <laughs> and we only know that from, like, two tablets or that are, like, poorly, so people even doubt the veracity of these claims to being about a real existing David, let alone that he fought someone named Goliath. And it's quite clear that the story could be just a parable, you know, that teaches you some sort of, like, life lesson. But I love, like, you could have picked any historical, real historical event <laughs> and used... I don't even agree with the, the line that, like, uh, history is written by the winners, right? Like, we, that even, I think, is a contentious uh, claim. But, like, you had to go so, to David and Goliath to make that analogy? It's just so weird. So... The oldest manuscripts, namely the Dead Sea Scrolls text from text of Samuel from the late first century BCE, um, the Jewish historian Josephus uh, from the first century CE, and the major um, Septuagint uh, manuscripts all give it as four cubits and a span, or approximately six foot nine inches. Interesting. So yeah, he was just like a big guy. Fair. So now we go to the ninth. And Ezra spends the entire episode mad at Jason Kenny and is not satisfied with Kenny saying that the mandates will end by the end of the month. 
Because Ezra w- doesn't just want Kenny to end the mandates. He wants Kenny to put forth a ban for allowing businesses to implement vaccine policies like independently of the government. So what Kenny is doing is leaving open the fact that certain businesses on their own volition can choose whether or not they want to allow people in with 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 vaccines. And Ezra yeah. wants Kenny just to put a law in place that restricts their freedom to do that. That's also fucking insane just in terms of like workplace safety like you want to be able to mandate health measures in a lot of industries like a lot of workplaces or whatever like child care health care etc for ezra he thinks that this is uh tantamount to uh breaking like nuremberg laws or some shit because you're asking somebody about their medical conditions fuck yeah but this is about freedom guys it's all about freedom the interview segment is is then a bit weird ezra has a woman on named christine anderson who spoke recently at some eu event and at this event she praised the trucker convoy and so it like made the rounds in a lot of right-wing circles she Mm -hmm. also happens to be a sitting member of the german government and belongs to the Alternative for Deutschland party. Oh, shit. Now, this is weird and we'll get into it, but, like, nothing nothing really happens in the interview, so it's like, I have no clips, I have nothing really to say, it's just two people shooting the shit. The weirdest thing that, like, happens out of the conversation that's unique to us is that Ezra refers to the AFD as a freedom-oriented party. To coincide with how, like, the truckers are for freedom and whatnot. But there is some weird things that I don't think that Ezra should appreciate. I realize that Ezra likes them, likely because uh, AFD has supported groups like Pegida. Yeah. And other far-right groups that are anti-immigrant and anti-Muslim. Mm-hmm. But they're also kind of anti-Jewish. Like they, oh, they're very, very anti-Jewish. They have uh, policies in their party platform to like ban kosher foods from the yes. entire country of Germany. And I'm like, is that something Ezra would support? But if, yes, uh, oddly probably. enough, like- <laughs> I mean, he is Jewish. I, I imagine that he would probably be against that. Or how about this? The AFD also wants to uh, remove Holocaust memorials from the country of Germany. because yes. Not because they at least stated they don't deny the Holocaust. I'm sure many other members probably do deny the Holocaust, but openly they don't say that. But they want to get rid of the monuments because they believe that it like hurts the German identity by like putting a shame on it that's undeserved. And that it needs to be like freed from this shame so that you need to get rid of all the uh holocaust memorials i also supports a ban on circumcision for non-medical reasons so again banning jewish people from being born in germany um and yeah on the kosher slaughter thing it's 
a ban on kosher slaughter happening, as well as the import and sale of kosher meat. Um, so effectively, again, banning practicing Jews from Germany. Like, I, yeah, it's just so fucked. And so the, there's an element here, like the reason why I wanted to take like the few seconds to mention it, even though like, again, just more of the same trucker nonsense bullshit has had, like nothing new happened on that front. It's just the fact that he would platform this politician for an extreme far right party in Germany that's associated with Islamophobia and anti-Semitism and has her on his show and doesn't say anything about that and just calls their party a freedom-oriented party. That's pretty fucked up. <sighs> yeah. It's pretty fucked up. So, uh, again, we've said this several times about how Ezra, you know, I think it was even a couple weeks ago we played the clip where Ezra is like, I've never seen a Nazi flag before. You know what I mean? He always plays this off like he never sees Nazis. He never sees like fascists that they just don't exist. He just, where are they? I never see them. And yet he invites them on his show and calls them freedom, freedom oriented. So just want to say. <laughs> this takes us to February 10th, okay? And Ezra's opening segment is not worth talking about. It's literally an extended monologue about how the truckers are setting us free. And uh, I don't really care. <laughs> if you want to listen to 20 minutes of Ezra talking about how the truckers are going to set us free, you can, you can go do that on your own time. The interview is with Joel Pollack, who praises Ezra for leading the trucker convoy. All right. Just want to state that. Now, I like Ezra like laughs at it. I think they're like kind of joking, but like the suggestion here is that Ezra is deeply involved for this happening. And I think Joel has a point. So, yeah, worth noting. The rest of the chat is more uh, stuff about how the truckers are real workers, unlike leftists who use computers. And uh, <laughs> Joel calls socialism a luxury and that you need to be rich to be a socialist. And Ezra says the blockade works because it's preventing hipsters from having their avocado toast. Which I guess he's stealing Chad's material now, the lawyer at Coots. <laughs> so uh, that's that's good fun. But again, nothing really to say that. I just that the line about like uh, socialism being a luxury is just fucking stupid but that's it that was that show and then uh it gets a little bit uh well first there's the mailbag segment ezra continues to compare businesses who choose to screen for vaccinations to uh segregation in the united states so you know the holocaust segregation all these things he he wants to compare to the mandates uh meanwhile he interviews someone who works for a party that wants to remove holocaust memorials so that's fun and then we get to the next sort of like portion of the show, which he plays a clip of Sheila Gunn-Reed talking to a police officer. I mean, the whole interview is itself indicative of a larger problem with police, but I think it's worth going over just like some parts of this. So the officer's name is Nick Machik, or Marika? Nick Marika. And he is from the uh, Calgary Police Force. He released a video in support of the truckers and is now being investigated for releasing the video. Although, like, I don't think that investigation had started 
before he was on Rebel. So it's like he did the video, it went viral, he went on Rebel, and I think now he's being investigated. So there was media reports that have since been done on Nick. And according to the Calgary Police Service, Nick has been on leave for some time for what they describe as undisclosed reasons. And for what it's worth, in the interview, Nick says that the reasons why he's on leave is because he's uh, because it's related to PTSD that he's suffering from. And I will just take his word for that, although uh, like I understand that the police could not disclose that as the reason. But, like, it also means that uh, we, we just have to take Nick's word for it, I guess, that that is, in fact, the reason why he's on leave. Yeah. Now, his first claim in the interview is that the mandates go against the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And, like, we've, we've been over this. Uh, they don't. <laughs> but if this is true, then Nick should probably just quit the force because it's not, like, even just based on the the sort of like accepted perception of what the police force is. It's not technically under his job, uh, his job description to determine what is or is not illegal in Canada. Like that's up to the courts. Yeah. And so it's just amazing. Even just like the blatant, like him sitting there going, no, this law is illegal. Okay. Well then what do the courts say? Oh, the courts say that it is legal. Then shut the fuck up, Nick. (laughs) Like, it's that simple. But it gets a lot more worrying. And I think I'm going to play a clip. And in this clip, Nick describes where he gets his information. And I think this might be a problem with police generally, not just for Nick. Like everyone else, I've, I've been watching what's been happening over, over the entire, uh, basically the last two years. And for me, yesterday was... Uh, was the straw that broke the camel's back. Um, I just, I saw um, the Ottawa police service members and I'm sure other members of the RCMP and other police services out there um, going out and exerting what is 100% political, politically influenced. They are going out and exerting that, that political will on peaceful protesters um, that are doing what we're allowed to do under the charter uh, that is guaranteed to every citizen in this country um, in our in the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And for me, that that scene yesterday, it it was like I said, it was just the the straw that broke the camel's back for me. And I just I, I've been following along and watching um, various um, news feeds um you guys mostly you guys mostly of course who else would he watch and remember what he's reacting to here is the police tepidly confiscating a few jerry cans that's what he's when he's talking about the like what the police have done so far that he's reacting to as being sort of like heavy-handed or political is the police removing some jerry cans. Fuck. This shit sucks so much. I hate cops. You and me both. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, there's like so much. Like this, this is why you can't reform this shit. You can't reform. Like the fact that like a few cops taking D. And, and let's be real. 
I, my guess is some of the times they took the diesel away from these protesters was not because they wanted to take the diesel away from these protesters, but because they were handling it in very stupid ways. There was some footage that I saw where, like, people were lighting fireworks next to fucking, like, diesel carts. They were like, <laughs> like you know what I mean? Yeah. That's a potential hazard that they're probably thinking, you know, this could be a lot worse if one of those fireworks explode this diesel can, so we're going to confiscate these diesel cans, you know? I wish they hadn't in that case. Well, <laughs> well, we could discuss the discre- whether the discretion <laughs> is appropriate, right? The point is, it's not being done for, like, the over, like, application of some, like, political rule. For one, like, again, you don't get to decide, like, technically, you don't get to decide. That's why it's like, I think when, when the Black Lives Matter stuff was happening, and some cops were like, I don't want to enforce these laws, I'm being told, and like, I have to follow orders, I'm not going to do it, and I resign from being a police officer, that's how you fucking do it. You don't, mm. like, stay on the force and be like, I, I think that they're telling us to do things that are political, and there's no laws on the book, when, guess what, the laws are on the books, and they're they're upheld by the courts, but... yeah. Like, with the jerry can stuff, with pretty much all of the, like, Ottawa occupation, it really felt like the police were doing, like, work-to-rule type shit. Like, they, if they were explicitly ordered by the city to remove people's gas cans or whatever, then they would go in and do just that, and, to, and then, like, the protesters would do would find some way of getting them through anyways and the cops would be like oh we tried sorry city and then they wouldn't have to do shit again because the cops are sympathetic to this and like similarly like in windsor you would see like you know the city or the police chief or whoever like tells the cops to go and like stop the protesters from getting on this way onto the ambassador bridge and the cops would block that one street and then they would let the protesters walk around them to get back onto the bridge like they're sympathetic they're not like this is what you call repression really it's just yeah i mean like we could even get into the fact of like he's upset that they're being told to like quote unquote politically remove these fucking jerry cans yet he's quite happy with them going like guns blazing on indigenous territory and fucking them up you know that's cool in his eyes. That's not an overextension of the law. It's an overextension of the law to, like, enforce vaccine mandates that have been upheld in the courts. Again, like, that isn't what the cops were doing, right? Like, it's against the law to stand next to a protest in Ottawa and occasionally cheer them on and occasionally bring them coffee. That is the, like, oh, they're ordering us to fire on civilians type of shit like (laughs) i had to bring those i brought those protesters timmies on my own money for no reason that's just like nuremberg there was even like think about it like right now the emergencies act has been put through and you would think that that would create uh increased tensions the occupation is still happening in ottawa and even today there was video footage from on the ground at the cenotaph where police were shaking the hands with their self-described veterans, so I'll just accept it, veterans who are quote-unquote like standing on guard by the cenotaph after they illegally removed a police barricade that was set up around the thing. Now, here's the thing is like they're not 
They're veterans, and they're not vandalizing the thing, but they're still a part of the occupation, and the police are shaking their hands with these people. Even though the emergency... <laughs> like, all those things have already been through, and the police are still just like, they're, they're cool with the protesters. And even after the police chief in Ottawa has resigned, like, the police, the police are on the side of the protests. And, and I want everyone who's listening to this to know that. There's a reason why we have consistently been ACAB on the show. All cops are bastards. Because they are a part of a system that upholds the protests that are going on right now. They uphold the protest even though people in that protest are the people who want to shoot and kill cops. I just want cops to resign and find different jobs. Yeah. The people they're siding with are the same people that want to kill them. Just let that sink in. So then, the rest of the, the Sheila interview, anyways, is that Nick goes on to say that uh, he he's mad at how everyone hates cops after the George Floyd thing. You know, the murder of George Floyd. But then he at least says very, very, like... He, he does say that he agreed with the verdict of Chauvin. That's like, I guess, the only good thing Nick says in this entire fucking interview. But he doesn't like how everyone was mean to the police. <sighs> and then he says that uh, he understands why police were just following orders earlier when it comes to the mandates. But he says now the science shows that they don't work. But again, it's not Nick's job to determine whether the science works or not. And even if the science was what he thinks it is, which it isn't, why would that matter if the mandates are already unconstitutional? Which tells me that uh, Nick, like the truckers themselves, are right-wingers that are inconsistent and don't care. They have feelings, and their feelings is that they don't like the mandates, and they want to go back to some past where they could all join hands in a restaurant in Ottawa without masks and where the owner can like hear all the kaching from all the like people buying buying scones at their their shop or whatever the hell they're buying mm -hmm. which is what this is all about and then we get to February 11th and really nothing happened on February 11th. <laughs> uh, Ezra discusses an Amnesty International report that condemns the convoy uh the, the Amnesty piece claims that there were Nazi and Confederate flags there, and Ezra says none of that is true, even though, I mean, I know he thinks that the, the Nazi flag was a, a false flag flag, but that doesn't mean that the flag being there was not true, so I don't know what he's talking about. And Ezra has yeah. never talked about the Confederate flag, and yet he just says that it's not true that it was there. It's, it's true. It is, in fact, true, Ezra. He then criticizes them for supporting Omar Khadr. That's why you can't trust Amnesty International. <laughs> oh my god. But surprisingly, he doesn't mention the recent report that we promoted on the show that told people to go read it. I'm surprised if he wanted to criticize uh, Amnesty, like this would have been the opportunity to bring that up, but maybe he's been too busy with the trucks that he missed it. Yeah. Yeah, there's been too many trucks driving by to think about apartheid and then to end the whole week off Ezra admits yeah the police have been a, a little light on the enforcement <laughs> you know for all the tough talk by police though 
they haven't done anything tough yet. Now, maybe that'll change by the time this video, I'm recording it in the afternoon, goes to air at night. <laughs> Which I had, yeah. you know, he spends the whole week fear-mongering about how much the cops, they're just going in there stealing diesel cans. And then in the end, he's just like, yeah, they're not doing much. They're just letting us yeah. uh, do our thing. And he's not wrong. They haven't, they haven't gone full Waco yet. Yeah. <laughs> Well, <laughs> we're several days into the Emergencies uh, Act, and uh, they haven't gone full Waco yet either. And yeah, uh, yeah. I'm still waiting for it. And Coots, I mean, it's not even going to happen at Coots. That ended with with a bunch of hugs, because they realized it was more opportune for them to just end the occupation. Now that twelve of their colleagues were arrested for a stash pile of uh, guns, so mm-hmm. so no Waco there either. Just hugs. Just hugs. If only they had hugged. David Koresh. <laughs> Cam Scott wrote an article in Canadian Dimension called The Perils of Left Populism um, that is kind of against um leftists adopting populist style uh politics in order to kind of like quote unquote learn from the freedom convoy um and it's very good we read it on stream on monday good article um i'm gonna share a second article because i don't have a like other cause really um from the tie about um the 1889 russian flu uh that is that was a um coronavirus pandemic that happened in 1889 1890 uh and then for a few years after uh that caused long-term um neurological effects uh, difficulty breathing, uh, loss of taste and smell, and a lot of other similarities to um, COVID. And it killed one and a half million people at a time when uh, the global population was like just over a billion, I think. Uh, and then it came back for around five years, took five years off, and then came back again around the turn of the century. Um so woohoo love (laughs) pandemic news yay uh but it's a good article and it kind of like gets into the history of that flu or of that virus and like um how doctors attempted to deal with it back then as well given the like different kinds of medical knowledge and science and everything uh as well as some of the like what we would now refer to as long COVID type effects from that virus as well. Uh, It's just a really interesting read. If you support and enjoy what you have heard so far, please give us a few bucks over on patreon.com slash imperial news. If you want to stay informed about what we're doing, you can also find us on Twitter at imperial news with a Z. We have a discord set up. We do Twitch streams every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 8 PM Eastern standard time. You can find the clips on our YouTube channel and you can find all the links in the show notes on this episode. 
Lastly, you can email us any questions at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com. Special thanks to my friend Mason Tickle for the transition beats. You can find his work at striatum.bandcamp.com. Thank you for listening. An avocado toast. Yeah, canceled. Albumbia, Albumbia, how lovely are your wheat fields.